I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, please. John 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Fourth chapter. There's an old, old story about Albert Einstein. One day, Albert Einstein was riding on a train, and as the conductor came down the aisle to collect all the tickets, he found Mr. Einstein down on the floor on his hands and knees looking under his seat. And the conductor walked up to Albert Einstein and said, Sir, can I, can I help you? And Albert Einstein looked up and said, I've lost my ticket. I can't find my ticket, and I need to find my ticket. And the conductor said, oh, Mr. Einstein, I, I know you. You're a, obviously a man of character and integrity. I don't need your ticket. And Einstein said, I need my ticket. I have forgotten where I'm going. And I don't know where I'm supposed to get off. Brothers and sisters, I don't want us to ever forget where we're going it's January, and at the beginning of a brand new year is typically when we're going to notice more new people in our church building. We're going to see more visitors and guests in the coming weeks. More people have moved to our city for the first time. More folks are looking for a church home. And if we're going to be a Christ-centered church that people are looking for, and that is the way we advertise ourselves, it's in our mission statement, we are Christ-centered centered. If we're going to be that, then we've got to have an attitude. The attitude of Christ. Not platitudes, but attitude. Not what we say, but how we think and how we behave. Not just who we are on Sundays, but who we are deep inside of us every single day of the week. We need to be a church with attitude. GCR is not just a church of Christ. We want to be a church like Christ. That's our calling. That is our holy purpose. And so we want to act and think just like our Lord. We want to develop his mindset. We want to get inside Jesus' brain and see people the way he sees them and interact and respond the way he does. Jesus never one time ever said, accept me. He said, follow me. Do what I'm doing and do it the way I do it. Follow me. And he never forgot where he was going. He knew exactly what his mission was. Our Lord always knew his purpose. Why did you come to this earth, Lord? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why do you do things the way you do them, Lord? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. Jesus, what is your mission? What is your calling? What drives you, Jesus? Well, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. Attitude. Attitude is a way of acting and feeling and thinking that is connected to what you believe. Your convictions. Your attitude comes from what you know. Jesus had three distinct attitudes that guided his mission. Three convictions that determined how he saw people and how he interacted with others. And these three attitudes need to be ours. 
These three convictions should inform us and shape the ways we behave, the ways we treat one another in here on Sundays, and the ways we act out there in between Sundays. Amen? All right. John chapter 4, that first attitude that we're going to look at this morning, this attitude of Jesus is everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. If you're taking notes, write those three words down right now because this is an attitude. In John chapter 4, Jesus is in this Samaritan village of Sychar. He's he's outside his zip code, okay? He's on the other side of the tracks. This is a little sketchy where Jesus is. And he intentionally engages a Samaritan woman in a meaningful conversation. He looks her right in the eye and he just asks her a simple question. But the very fact that he talked to her freaks this lady out. In verse 9, after Jesus says something to her, she says to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. For Americans do not associate with Asians. For Democrats do not associate with Republicans. Do I have your attention now? For rich people do not associate with the poor. We know how this world operates, right? And our Lord Jesus Christ says, my kingdom is not of this world. Everybody is welcome. Even his disciples, a few verses later, they're surprised to find Jesus talking to this woman. But they should have been surprised because Jesus always welcomed everyone and he always made everyone feel welcomed. Everybody. He ate and drank with tax collectors and teachers of the law. He dined with prostitutes and Pharisees, men and women, right? We've been over this, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, the powerful and the wealthy. Part of the huge scandal with our Lord Jesus is that with him, everybody is welcome. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is at Matthew's house, and Matthew is a tax collector. He's a sinner. He's not patriotic. That's his sin. In fact, he's working for the occupying terrorists. And Jesus is sharing a meal. Jesus is sharing a table with these enemies. He's expressing acceptance. He's he's sharing fellowship with these betrayers. And the religious leaders, they see it and they don't get it. And they ask Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, listen to Jesus' attitude. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, Jesus ate with everybody. The blind, the lame, the lepers, the sinners. And this was decidedly not normal behavior. Come on, Jesus, you're supposed to be a rabbi. You're supposed to be a righteous Jew. You don't go over to anybody's house for dinner and you don't invite anybody over to your house to eat until you have done your homework and you know they're exactly like you. Read their bumper stickers. Check their voting record. Find out where their kids go to school. Jesus refused. No. With me, everybody is welcome. And he knew they were talking about him. He knew 
just a couple of chapters later in Matthew 11. These are Jesus' words, and he's talking about these religious and social leaders. He says, you know, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and what they say is, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. In other words, what's right is right, and it'll eventually come out. It'll be proven. They called Jesus a friend of sinners, and Jesus said, why, thank you very much. That's the nicest thing you could say about our Lord. And the people in power ridiculed Jesus. They insulted him and they persecuted him because he refused to recognize the lines that society draws around and in between people and groups of people. They discredited Jesus and disfellowshipped him, but it didn't even slow him down. Jesus welcomed the high-maintenance people and the needy people and the people with baggage and the people with sin. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and all who are burdened. No screenings, no background checks, no qualifications. All of you, he says, come to me. That's Jesus' attitude. And that's what compelled him to die on the cross for all people. And because he died for all people, we are compelled to have the same attitude that he has. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's what it says. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced he died for all, so all have died. And Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The religious leaders and the social insiders said that Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus is welcoming people to his home and around his table, people we wouldn't even look at, people we wouldn't even talk to. And Jesus says, yeah, that's my mission. That's who I am. You know, there's a temptation for us on Sunday mornings to worry about who's going to sit by us during church. Some of us won't join a small group. We won't commit to a Bible class because who am I going to wind up with in there? I can't control who's going to sit by me or where that might or might not go. Brothers and sisters, instead of trying to control that, why not give that to God? God, please bring people to our church we can minister to. Lord, please put somebody in my Bible class you can reach with your love and your hope and your peace through me. God, please put somebody next to me who needs me. And then no matter who sits next to you next Sunday, no matter who winds up in your Bible class, this is the very person you've been talking to God about. This person is the answer to your prayers. And that takes all the pressure off, right? God, this is your Bible class. Father, this is your church. When you pray that prayer and when you come into this room with that attitude of Christ, everybody is welcome. And by the way, they can feel it. They know. Another temptation for us is not to welcome a visitor in here. Not because we don't like visitors. We do. But because we're not always sure whether you're a visitor or not. You know what I'm talking about. We all feel this. We all deal with this. You know, you see somebody, you're not sure if you know them or not. I think that's a visitor. 
I think I need to go over and introduce myself and make her feel welcome. Or does she go here? I don't know who that is. It's really embarrassing, isn't it, to introduce yourself to someone and think they're a visitor, and then you find out they've been coming to GCR for 43 years? That's embarrassing. We've all dealt with that. And more than not, what happens is we're paralyzed. We don't want the awkwardness. We don't want the embarrassment. And what happens is we wind up with 12 visitors at Abuelo's going, GCR is not a very friendly church. That happens. It's embarrassing. Let me say this about that. If we're going to be a church with the attitude of Christ where everybody is welcome, the first thing we have to do is get over ourselves. I'm going to give you something really practical here, okay? You ready? You introduce yourself to everybody in this church. And you don't get offended if somebody doesn't know your name. Look, this is a big church, and that's okay. GCR is not a 150-member church. And so don't be embarrassed when you don't know everybody's name. And at the same time, you cannot get offended if another member here doesn't know yours. This is a little church. And when somebody introduces themselves to you and says, are you a visitor? The worst thing you can do is go, well, my daddy was an elder here and I was baptized here 26 years ago. How long have you been at this church? That doesn't help. Don't do that. In fact, here's the practical thing right here. We're going to start introducing ourselves in this place to everybody, whether we're sure we know their name or not. And when it gets awkward, When I find out, Jerry, you've been going here longer than me. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Here's what we're going to do. One of us is going to go, it's a big church. And then we're both going to look at each other and go, and that's okay. Right? Can we just, can we do that? Can we make that just like something we say? Right? In fact, let's practice it right now. Look at somebody sitting next to you and say, it's a big church and that's okay. All right. That's how we're going to break the ice now. There is no excuse for a visitor to come into here and not ever be welcomed. And there's no excuse for anybody getting upset when you've been here for 37 years. Okay? Amen? Amen. It's a big church, and that's okay. Secondly, we understand that nobody is perfect. We all know this, right? Nobody's perfect. The Bible says if anybody claims to be without sin, he's a liar. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? When Jesus meets us, he understands we're not perfect. That's his attitude. And he's very upfront about it. In John 4, he he meets this Samaritan woman at the well at Sychar. They're having a nice conversation about Uh, salvation gifts from God. And then Jesus says, why don't you go get your husband? And in verse 17, she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, no kidding. You've had five husbands and the guy you're sleeping with right now ain't one of them. This woman is living in sin, but that does not keep Jesus from revealing himself to her. He opens himself up to her and then he deals with her sin. And this sin was the source of all of her troubles. The isolation from her peers, her lowly status in the community, her guilt before God, untold heartache and distress, maybe even emotional or physical abuse. Jesus acknowledges that and he deals with it. Four chapters later, at the beginning of John chapter 8, you know, Jesus is confronted with this woman who's been caught in adultery. She's been caught in the act. 
cold busted right there. And they bring her to Jesus. You know, adultery, Jesus, adultery. This is the big one. And Jesus doesn't even blink. Our Lord Jesus squats down in the dirt and he begins to write something with his finger. Verse 7 says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, why don't you throw the first rock? Jesus protected her. He saved her. He reached out to her and he showed her his mercy and his grace. He dealt with her sin, yes, but he pointed out very clearly, everybody sins. According to Jesus, we're all, every one of us, in the same sinner's boat. But not all of us act like it. Some of us act like we haven't sinned in years. But inside, we know. Some of us pretend like none of us are sinners. Everybody's great. Everybody's good. Nobody's got any troubles. Nobody's got any struggles. Nobody's got any problems. Certainly nothing we should talk about out loud. Why do we do that? I've heard it said that the church in Acts 2, nobody ever had any needs because everybody was sharing. The church today, nobody has any needs because we're lying. Why do we do that? Why do we act like nothing's wrong? Why do we pretend like nobody's got any problems? Is it like the old farmer who was in court? There was a farmer in court. He was battling his insurance company because the company wouldn't pay his medical expenses after an accident. The farmer had flipped over his mule and his wagon in a ditch, and the police officer who was on the scene was testifying that the man told me on the scene he wasn't injured. He was okay, and, and now he says he's not okay, and he is injured, and so they put the farmer on the stand, and they ask him, why did you tell the officer at the scene that you were not injured? And the old farmer said, well, when the officer arrived at the scene of the accident, my mule and I are both laying in the ditch. He walks over and sees how badly the mule is injured. He took out his gun, and he shot him in the head. And then he walked over to me and said, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. I'm good. Is that why? Is it self-preservation? Are we afraid that if we let out that we're not doing that well, somebody's going to shoot us? See, our society says you've got to hide your sins. You can't show your weaknesses. Don't let anybody see you struggle. And Jesus says, no, we're going to be open about this. A church with an attitude like Jesus says, we are open to the fact that nobody's perfect. And we still accept one another. And we love each other deeply in the mess. And we practice confession. And we practice forgiveness with one another in the struggle. And it becomes a regular part of who we are. Remember, God says he is strongest when we're weak. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Wait, or is it 12? It's 2 Corinthians 12. I already read 5. Here it is. Oh, yeah. My, this is Jesus, right? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm glad this is in red letters. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 25% of the households in the United States are one-person households. 
That, that number does not include nursing homes. More and more people in this country are living alone. Who are they talking to? Nobody. Because research shows that one out of every four people confess they have not talked to one person about anything important in six months. A church with an attitude should be a safe place to talk, not the last place. It should be a regular thing, not a rare thing for us to talk about our struggles in here and to talk about our sins in here and then to gather around one another and pray with each other and bear these things to the Lord together. That should be a regular thing in this room. And somebody will say, oh, what will the visitors think? What will the visitors think? Seriously? The visitors will think those people are messed up, but they have each other and they have God. And they're not pretending. And they're not playing. They're not doing church. They're being church. They are genuine. And they're transparent. And they're authentic about how hard it is to live in this, in this world. And that is a powerful thing, brothers and sisters. It is powerful. So that's the attitude. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And here's the last one. And this is my favorite one. Anything is possible. I love this. I believe that when Jesus looked at the people in his life, he really believed anything is possible. Because by God's grace, it really is. Back to this woman in John chapter 4. She drops her water jar. Look at verse 28. She leaves it, it says, and she runs into town to tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus had welcomed her. Jesus had accepted her, even in her horrible sins. Even with all of her terrible baggage, he had treated her with dignity and respect. And this hopeless woman now has hope. This dead woman is now alive. She's redeemed. She's reconciled. She is saved, and the town sleaze has now become the gospel preacher. That is stunning, is it not? Anything is possible. The way Jesus treated this one lonely woman rocked the whole village. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Verse 41, many more became believers. Verse 42, we know, they say, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Church, with Jesus, anything is possible. The blind see, the lame walk, the prisoners are released, the dead are raised. Anything is possible. Storms are stilled, temples are cleared, money is found in a fish's mouth. Anything is possible. Zacchaeus is pulled out of a tree. Doubting Thomas believes. Demons are destroyed. Lazarus lives. Gentile jailers are baptized. And camels are walking through the eyes of needles. Anything is possible with our Lord Jesus. He says it in Mark chapter 10. With man, impossible. Not with God. With God, anything is possible. That's the attitude. That's the conviction. God does not write off people like we do. Have you noticed? Think about Saul. Think about Saul, the, the early persecutor of the church. 
he was the least likely to ever be converted. Right? He wasn't on the church's visitation list. Nobody was going to see Saul. And when God told Ananias to give it a shot, Ananias doesn't think it's possible. In Acts chapter 9, when God tells Ananias to go, where is Acts 9? It's after Acts 8. Thank you for the page number, Jerry. That's very helpful. It's so funny to me that God sends Ananias, go to Saul, and Ananias' first response is to try to tell God what he doesn't know about Saul. Maybe you haven't heard, Lord, there are reports about how awful this guy is. Ananias tries to tell God about Saul's past, but all God can see is Saul's future. And there are people right now on God's radar who are not on your radar. In fact, I think God deliberately puts people in front of us just to check us. Do you really believe me or not? Is there anybody too tough for God to save? Verse 17, Ananias calls him Brother Saul. You think he ever imagined saying those two words? Church, we will never grow. We will never be transformed. We will never live up to our God-ordained potential in this place until we adopt the attitude of Christ and we begin to see and believe that anything is possible. Anything. And I know we've, we've got these terribly puny little weapons, you know, we don't have much in the way of resources. We've got a torch, we've got a jar, we've got a, you know, a trumpet. We, some of us might have a slingshot, five little stones. That's all we've got. And we bring those sorry, terrible, puny little weapons into every interaction we have with somebody else. And we drag those things into this setting on Sunday mornings with the attitude that because of God through Jesus Christ, anything is possible. Something really, really great. It's going to happen today. That's the attitude. But Alan, my family, they'll never change. That's the wrong answer. With Christ Jesus, anything is possible. But Alan, this neighborhood, this city will never change. That is not true. With Christ Jesus, anything is possible. But Alan, I... I can't change. I'll never be able to change. Are you kidding me? Have you not heard the good news of salvation from God in Christ? Jesus Christ has welcomed you. He has accepted you. And in his life and death and resurrection, he has taken care of all of your sins. And it is very, very possible. Man, when I start spitting like that, you got to say amen, okay? Amen. Amen. You heard you have heard the gospel, right? It's really good news. Everything is possible. Anything is possible with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the attitude. And a church with this attitude of Christ dreams big and imagines more with great confidence and hope in our God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's the attitude. Anything is possible. So, now what? Well, how about a reality check? 
We are, as a church, about 75% of what we were just a couple of years ago. You know this. I'm not breaking news here. We're about 75% of what we were just a couple of years ago. The pandemic and the shutdown took a toll. Things that happened here in this church over the last couple of years, and frankly, just things that are happening in our culture have impacted us as a church. We are 75% of what we were, but listen to me. We are 100% of who we are. We are 100% of who we are right now today, and our God is not done with us. He has plans for this church. Our God has a purpose for us, and he is ready to do in us and through us wildly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I believe you who are here, I believe this with all my heart, I believe you are truly committed to this church. You who are here, I believe you are all in. You are completely devoted to the relationships here and also to the mission, what God is doing in us and through us to his glory. I think that we're lean and mean, church, and I think we're ready to go. And I think we're ready to tackle whatever it is God puts in front of us and to do it to his eternal glory and praise. Amen? Amen. Our shepherds and ministers are having meetings and conversations right now. And we're praying together a bunch. And in the coming weeks, we're going to bring a whole bunch of y'all into these conversations. And we're going to send out a survey to the entire church family. We are going to dream big and we're going to plan big and we're going to do it together. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about inviting others to join us here at GCR. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look very closely at our discipleship model. What does it look like? to be at GCR? How do we better foster a culture here of Christian transformation and mission? How do we put ourselves in places and contexts where we are more open and more available to what God's Holy Spirit wants to change in us? How do we make a bigger and bolder kingdom of God impact right here in Midland, Texas? We're looking at all these things and we're going into it with an attitude. We're going into it knowing that in Christ Jesus, everybody is welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything is possible. Amen? All right, let's close this morning where we started in Ephesians chapter 2. We are no longer foreigners and aliens. We are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, we too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I want you to notice how Paul moves us from living together in God as a family and connecting as a family to us actually because we are a family becoming this, this holy temple. We are built together to become a temple where God himself lives by his spirit. Stand with me, church. In Christ Jesus, you have been given a place to belong. You belong. I belong. 
This is where we belong. We belong to God, and because we belong to God in Jesus Christ, we belong to each other. And this passage says we are joined together, and we are rising up together as a holy temple of the Lord for all of Midland to see and to feel the saving presence of God. Yes. And as we move together through these next important weeks and several months, may the love of the Father make all of us and everybody welcome. And may the power of Jesus Christ be experienced in our weaknesses. And may God's Holy Spirit blow us away with more than we could ever ask or imagine. Amen. Let's sing.